The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. NUFC resurrected all but guaranteed Premier League football with last gasp win. Fortress St James, home form key to survival. An evolution, not revolution. How hints a transfer strategy. Yes, this is Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne with a slightly croaky voice. And with me today, the Athletics Newcastle Apostles correspondent Chris Woff and senior writer George Calkin. How the devil are we, chaps? Happy Easter, by the way. Is anyone going to talk? No, neither of us obviously care about Easter. I was waiting for Chris to I'll go really, first, you go but that's no, fine. <laughs> you go first, George. Go on, you. You know what? These these podcasts can kind of work better if somebody talks at the start. The problem is, Taylor, I'm bloated on Easter eggs and I'm bloated <laughs> on Premier League points as well. Oh, beautiful. I'm just satiated. I'm full. I'm full. I'm full of the joys of spring. Yes. I'm full of points and I'm full of... Well, not pints, because I didn't have any. But, um, yeah, there we go. Bloated. Bloated with Easter cheer. How about you, Chris? Are you all right? I can see on the camera that you've had a haircut. Uh, and I have to say, it's lovely that we are employing a blind barber in the northeast. It's it's good to give those guys a chance, isn't it? Well, you know, I've got... I'm, I'm all about that. I'm all about opportunities. No, I'm, I'm very good, thank you. I, I, George was at the game yesterday. I watched it. I had the rarity of actually watching it. At home because I was at a I was at a wedding over the weekend uh, up near Otterburn and I just want to give a shout out to a guy called Paul Verco who was there from Queensland in Australia and went to his first ever Newcastle United match yesterday wow. and uh, he said he messaged me saying so good mate brilliant atmosphere thumbs up he absolutely loved all of it and but the best thing is that he's going to go back to Australia after this trip. And when I was chatting to him at the wedding, he was telling me that the two nights he stayed in Newcastle, he'd been to this great bar, this brilliant bar that he's going to tell everyone about back home. Oh, now, yeah. I'd like each of you to take one guess at what bar that was. Pop World. Blue Bamboo. You're both very close. It is actually Cozy Joe's. Cozy oh, Joe's yes. is what he's no. going to, what everyone in Queensland's going to think of us. To be, I'm going to, Cozy uh, I'm going to caveat it by he is a wedding singer, so he does love karaoke and things like that. But yeah, mm. he, the way that he was just, I've been to some great places. Yeah, I've been to Cozy Joe's. And go, and I think he was going to go again yesterday after the match. So of course he was. Have you heard an Aussie singing uh, "Angels" by Robbie Williams? And that was that was Paul and the enjoying his first game. <laughs> Oh my God, that is incredible! Imagine coming all the way to Newcastle and that being where you want to be. Oh, I'm glad he got to see the uh, the last minute winner though. Target tidied up very neatly indeed. Well, this is excellent work by the substitute Willock. Clash off the ball between Mendy and Joe Linton. We'll look back at that in a moment. Oh, Newcastle have snatched it. Time. 
Another win. Five on the bounce at home, two in a row in the league. Uh, and you would say, George, that's all but safety, isn't it? You would have to say that now. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I think we all thought. I think we all thought Newcastle were safe before before that, but that puts the uh, that puts the tin lid on it. Yeah, definitely safe. It's and I think we can, you know, we can we can say now what a remarkable, astonishing, extraordinary turnaround it's been. Uh, Newcastle had five points when Eddie Howe came in. It was a tough start. We know that they um, they did great business in in January. Um, people will point to that, of course, as the reason why Newcastle is safe. But it's also been about developing the players that they already had. It's been a very sort of um, low key sort of revolution. If you talk about the players who've come to the fore, we're going to talk about a bit of this today. But you know, Bruno stole the headlines yesterday. But it's about people like Kraft to Emil Kraft. It's about people like Gillington. It's about players already there who've Absolutely. come to the fore and responded. And it's a, it's a brilliant achievement to be where they are today. It's great. We've got a bit of audio as well. It's safe to say that uh, Eddie Howe was pleased uh, with the upturn in form. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we've had some really good results of late. Today was a very, very difficult game. Leicester were excellent, I thought. And we had to uh, stay in the game for, for long periods of time. But to come from 1-0 behind, win again here is a, is a great achievement and a great feeling. I think, unfortunately for us in the second half, Leicester stepped up their performance and we, um, we weren't quite in the, with the rhythm that we needed to control the, control the ball. So we sort of knew our role, I think, was to um, defend well and be resilient and plug the gaps and then wait for counter-attack opportunities. Now, I thought we did that really, really well. I didn't necessarily expect us to take one of those counter-attack opportunities as the, the clock ticked down, but thankfully with Joe Willock's legs and Bruno's ability to um, join the attack, and we scored a great winning goal. I think the players here have responded so well to, to every challenge that's been faced their way as, as we've come in, and we're in a real relegation battle. The picture looks a bit better now, but we still have work to do. Um, but I think they're enjoying playing here, and I think that's a credit to the, the supporters for their support and understanding at times, because we haven't always been the dominant team, but not for one minute have they turned on the players in that moment, and um, they've backed us uh, hugely important uh, in important moments in games. Yeah, the fans were great yesterday, and what a finish, that last gasp winner from Bruno Guimaraes. Chris, the scenes at St James's Park, I'm echoing what Alex said last week, I don't think there's many places better to watch football in the UK at the minute, that was incredible, wasn't it? Absolutely incredible, I mean, the, the to have lasted throughout what was a difficult watch for large parts, I mean, it wasn't, mm. it wasn't great to watch, but then to have that sort of release of emotion, bank holiday weekend. I'm sure a lot of people were very tanked up again uh, as they were the previous Friday night uh, for, yeah. the, for the last game. And yeah, it was, it was, it was again, resilience and perseverance and, ju- and just sticking at it from Newcastle. It, it, it's strange that over the course of the, I'd say the last three months, quite often when people, have, uh, when I've spoken to people, my immediate reaction analysing Newcastle games is the game was a bit odd. And again, I'll say that about Newcastle yesterday. It wasn't. They're, they're still not. It's still not a team who you, who you'd say are brilliant to watch in terms of they're not. There's no free throwing football. There was a st- stage in the second half. I think it was the first twenty minutes of the second half where Newcastle had eighteen percent possession for those twenty minutes. Yeah, barely touched the ball, didn't we? But but they are they're staying in games and they're making other teams struggle. Like Leicester, I know Leicester had made a lot of changes. I know they played on the Thursday night. But similar to Wolves and similar to so many teams, there's that element of 
what Newcastle are is very, very difficult to play against. They break up the rhythm. They stop the opposition from being able to play. And Bruno was part of that yesterday. When he did manage to get involved in the game, when he did get on the ball, he was the one player who looked like he was going to make things happen. But actually... As, as Howe highlighted himself, it was what he did off the ball. It was everything that he, that he gave into the game. And then he showed that within that goal to, to, to stick at to it, run, to, yeah. to, to, to run, to follow it, to get into the box and to get to get the header, to just anticipate something might happen was absolutely wonderful. And, and those scenes and, the, and the, the fact that it meant so much more that this is the win that is almost certainly guaranteed Newcastle United survival. I mean, I thought they were safe anyway, but to get to 37 points, they're not going to be caught now and just an absolutely wonderful moment. It's huge, isn't it? And and that that Bruno header, I have to keep talking about that moment because it, it harked back, George, didn't it, to the old days of the Gallagher end sucking the ball into the net. And that's what it felt like when that cross came over from Joe Willock and you just see him pop up on the six-yard box. I had no idea where he came from. I didn't realise he was even running forward. And I was too busy screaming at the television because Joe Linton had been rugby tackled at the ground. <laughs> but what an incredible moment. And the, the, the scenes in the stand were just, in, in the stadium, were just absolutely amazing. It was a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous header. Proper diving header. Really good. He caught, He said it was the first header he's he's scored. I don't know if that's right or not, but he said that afterwards. But I mean, I think I think we have to sort of talk about the that feeling of home again. I mean, mm. I think that's one of the most astonishing things. I wrote about that. Um, home feels like home again, and how how amazing is that when you think about it? That again. You know, not too long ago, people were coming to the stadium sort of under sufferance almost, you know, reluctantly. Yeah. Um, yesterday I got to the ground, you know, an hour and a half before kickoff. Shearer's bar's already full. People want to be there. And they've won five games in a row now at, at St. James's. Um, it's one defeat in 11 in the league under Eddie Howe. And this has been the cornerstone of Newcastle's revival and survival. And it should be, I mean, when we think about St. James's, this is what we think about. We think about moments like the 95th minute like that. And I thought one of the interesting things about yesterday generally was that it felt like a sort of far more relaxed stadium. I can't think of, you know, going back, there must have been games at the end of seasons when, you know, Newcastle had been safe, but it felt like, you know, it, it was a positive feeling in the stadium. Chris was right, it wasn't a brilliant game, but there wasn't that tension there that we've been used to. It was a different sort of feeling. And... There just was that belief. And for Bruno to say afterwards, this is my home. I mean, it's just, you know, they're simple words, but they mean a lot to us. The players want to be there. The players look forward to playing there. You know, it's not this arena of sort of dread and difficulty for fans, for players, for staff, for owners. Everybody wants to be there. It's the home. And, you know, it's 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 not quite the place yet that is a fortress in the sense that Newcastle aren't dominating teams. I mean, they certainly didn't dominate Leicester, as Chris said. There wasn't a lot of possession for a lot of the game, but everybody there wants the same thing. Everybody is trying trying to do the same thing, and it is just a beautiful thing. You go to St. James's Park, knowing that Newcastle are going to be in the game, knowing that they're going to give everything until the end, and it's a place that everybody wants to be. It's very, very special. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com 
slash courtside to learn more. Chris, we said this back in January and December when, when it looked for all purposes like we were done we could be down um we said it was going to take different kinds of wins and it was going to be scrappy and it was going to be bitty and it was never going to be pretty uh and it definitely wasn't pretty but i i thought newcastle at times unsettled leicester with how sort of fully abrasive they were during the game miggy Almiron chasing people down emil craft getting stuck in and dan Byrne doing the dirty work as well i thought it was a i thought it was a spirited performance and i thought there was certain players on that pitch who who really lifted themselves i think that if you remove bruno and to a degree Agree. Possibly, you could say at times, Sam Maximan, even if his final ball fired to deceive. That Newcastle side, I thought, in terms of actual technical quality, lacked a lot yesterday. I didn't think there was much that they actually showed. There's quite a few times they got into positions and the final ball was lacking, or the shot was terrible. There's a few times that Joe Linton got into positions, and that, and they didn't exactly cut Leicester open at times. But equally. They, it's that work rate and it's what they do off the ball. And that's what has been so impressive under Eddie Howe, that, that they are intense. It was a game that a large spot spells lacked intensity, but Newcastle were always the ones who looked like they're going to be, certainly in the first half, were going to be first to the ball. Yeah. They unsettled Leicester. They got round them. Uh, I mean, Soyuncu was Newcastle's best player in the first half because he kept passing them the ball because <laughs> they kept getting round him. He kept passing them the ball. And that is that is what, what Eddie Howe has brought. And that is exactly what Newcastle needed because it's exactly what they weren't before he was there. And it took him a little bit of time yeah. to instill that into them. And Joe Linton still, still typifies that. He's still... It, it offens- offensively, he still doesn't bring what you need from a, an, in theory, an attacking midfielder. But what he does off the ball, his ability to 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 to, to break up play by committing fouls or nicking the ball or just getting a leg in here or there. And Bruno was exactly the same on the other side yesterday. He's so much more than a, people call him a number six or defensive midfielder. I mean, I spoke to someone when Newcastle first signed him, and they said they think they've got like a number six plus here. And that's what that's what you see in him. He brings so much in that all round game. And I mean, he covered the most distance. He was everywhere. He was the one who was trying to make things happen. And obviously, he gets the two goals, which was not why Newcastle signed him. They didn't think he was going to be bringing <laughs> goals galore. But three already more than Chris Wood since uh, since Chris Wood signed in January. Yeah, there you go. Um, Newcastle's third top scorer, I think, now Bruno Gomes this season. So uh, certainly in the wow. league. So amazing. And always nice to see a, a goal going in via the goalkeeper's plums as well, George. You don't get to see that very often, do you? And he kicked that ball out from between uh, Kasper Schmeichel's leg. And he called him Peter Schmeichel there. God Almighty. Uh, but yeah, amazing uh, moment. And you know, for a second we thought VAR might have ruled that out, but. Um, they go and do the pitch side review and he gives the goal. When you look at the replay, I can't for a second understand understand why that wasn't just given anyway because Kasper Schmeichel never had control of that ball, did he? No, he didn't. He never had control of the ball. I think that was clear from the first um, from the first replay. But um, yeah, very funny. But I mean, if you yeah, off his off his plums. But um, <laughs> you, you know, Newcastle have shown bollocks themselves to carry on that theme. They really have. They've you know, Chris talked about resilience. I think the stat is that. Um, no team in the Premier League since February has retrieved more points from losing positions. It's ten points, and that you know that tells its own story. I suppose you know what you can say is that Newcastle are used to ad- adversity. They've had so much adversity yeah. uh, this season and before then, but you know they found a way to respond to it and to to get through difficult moments. And yeah, that that. You know that ability to recover losing positions is is really important, and it it's a telltale sign of a good team, a good collective. They were slightly fortunate without the first goal, though, Taylor, because 
it does come off Burns' arm. It, it comes off his arm. They've, so they the, they've changed they've the changed, rule now. They have they, changed the rule. So last season that would have been disallowed. Have, yeah. But, but they yeah. wouldn't bring it back. But if the referee had seen it, he would have disallowed it in that sense. It's not that it's because it, 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 it was technically handball. He wouldn't disallow because of VAR. But I had an issue with the way. I mean, it, it, VAR got to the right conclusion for Newcastle. But it was weird that the referee went over to, to the VAR screen and they showed him one angle from behind repeatedly on slow motion. Yeah. And, and I even checked to say, and it was the only angle. It, which is, it, it came to the right conclusion, but that's that's part of the issue with VAR. Why is the referee only seeing one angle? We've seen about four or five on the TV at home. Yeah. So if the referee's getting called across to VAR, I know it came to the right conclusion in that sense, but over the over the course of the last few weeks, we it hasn't come to the to the right conclusion uh, that we'd most agree with. So I do think that needs to be looked at. Why why was it only one angle is shown? Chris, Chris, I normally like to look at the bigger picture, but I, I think today it's important to look at the smaller picture and say, who cares? <laughs> Yeah, Chris, stop being a spoiled sport. Well, I, I care. Right. I care. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> and another right. man who clearly cared yesterday as well, um, the, the gritty performance was typified by one man in particular. I thought Emil Kraft, I thought he had, again, I thought he had his best game in a black and white shirt against Wolves, and I thought he stepped it up again yesterday. There was one moment towards the end where, which we won't talk about, but he, I thought he had a great, great game and the, the, the match saving tackle uh, on, uh, who was it? Luckman, who he put the tackle in on uh, at the Elisa's end, I thought was, was fantastic. Just the determination. And, and and George, he's, he's starting to prove himself, isn't he? He's not exactly had a great time so far, but he's starting to prove himself. No, he's had a very difficult time um, at the club. But yeah, I think you take you take Bruno out of the last two games, he's man of the match without a shadow of a doubt. And um, it's a really nice story. And again, you know, to go back to what I said earlier, people will point to the money spent in January. But really, one of the stories of the of this recovery is the fact it's been unheralded players it's players already at the club who've stepped forward and contributed and they all have I mean whether it's Shelby you know who's been excellent in midfield whether it's Jolinton uh, playing in a different position and making it his own whether it's um, whether it's Cher at the back but Kraft has been a big part of it and you know it is that thing it is that collective and those players have all got better and they're getting better. And really, that's what you want to see. As a supporter, yes. that's what you want to see. You want to see players improve. You want to see players being coached better. How often in the past, in the Ashley era, did Newcastle sign players, some of whom were pretty good, and you just watch them slowly decline yeah. or slowly want to get out? You know, players don't get better at Newcastle. Well, this team are getting better. And. It's a lot to do with the fact that there's been competition, you know, that there's been good team building, but it's also about having a manager who knows what he's doing. And it's, you know, it's just really refreshing to see players already at the club come to the fore, step up to the challenge and earn their place in the team. And Emil Kraft deserves all the credit in the world. And another one of those players, Chris, is Miggy Almiron as well. He's had to come in uh, for Ryan Fraser in the last couple of games and he ran his socks off again, which he always does. Um, but <clears throat> he was causing problems for the Leicester defenders from the first minute. Led to that uh, that yellow card within 30 seconds with his chasing down and running. And he put in a performance, didn't he? And I mean, he did steal a flag at the end. Um, we won't dwell on that too much and he has to give that back. Uh, but <laughs> he was fantastic yesterday again. In terms of if, you, if you're playing that press and style, the, 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 the work off the ball... Miguel Almiron brings all of that, and I thought there were a lot. There were a lot of good runs yesterday. Still, that final ball yeah. is lacking. I am going to bring the negative slant onto. I apologise, but I just think that course, if we're yeah, looking, what if, you do, Chris? If, if, <laughs> if, if, if we're look, if we're looking to where Newcastle need to go next, I think that that's what 
off the ball. They've got so much. They bring so much. But it, it is if you look if you look at then what they do offensively going into the, the, the final third. I still think Almiron and Sam Axman between the two of them yesterday. There were a lot of times where the final ball, the decision making, the final ball was lacking. I mean, there's one time where they basically ran in front of each other. Uh, they're not quite on the same wavelength. But in terms of what he brings off the ball, and that as you said, mentioned that yellow card in the first minute, and also just the, the work that that all of them do off the ball, target right at the end to set up the Bruno. Goal. Oh, that was brilliant. He, he follows them. There's down, so many players would have just. Yeah. Would have just shepherded that ball out of play and let it go and the game would have been gone. But he turned that player inside out and brought it back. Shows composure. And then someone who did show quality when he came on was Joe Willick. And that is what, what Willick brings, mm. particularly when a game is breaking up and it started to break up towards that the end of that match. And I think... I don't know if Eddie Howe has really... A few times, I think that one maybe criticism you could level at him over the course of his first few months at Newcastle is that substitutions, quite often, I think they haven't quite worked out. His substitutions, he went for it. Yes, even though Leicester had had a lot of games, his substitutions were attacking substitutions. And Joe Willock came on and provided that moment that Newcastle needed. He, did, yeah. he drove forward... Uh, his touch to get beyond... Oh, it was brilliant. Uh, I think it was Tielemans was absolutely superb. To completely took him out of the game. Yeah. And then suddenly Leicester stretched on the back foot and then to get in the box. And yes, they got a little bit of luck because the, 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 the cross deflected. But then again, that desire from both him and then Bruno to get on the end of it. And there was, I think there was four Newcastle players in the box. So it wasn't, it wasn't as if it was just Bruno there as well. There were other players waiting to try and get it in. So yeah, just all of the, the amount of ground the team covered yesterday without the ball was phenomenal. Taylor, sorry, you mentioned the flags. Um, I think, I think, you want to you want to draw attention to the brilliant war flags display, don't you? I want to say something afterwards, but you go first. I do, yeah. I mean, the, the war flags display yesterday for people who didn't see it was was a tribute to David Kelly and the goal he scored uh, at St James's Park, which essentially uh, turned around the fortunes of the club and 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 saved the club in many ways, stopped us from dropping into the uh, into the old second division. And the the tribute was uh, I, I I loved it. I thought I felt quite emotional watching it because David Kelly was my first ever favourite Newcastle player. The first game I ever went to, um, I stood outside the Gallagher end and I met David Kelly getting out of his car and he signed me programme and I spilled a can of coke all down my leg because I was just in wonderment staring up at this guy. Um, and everything he did for the club and and the, the, the effort and everything he put in over the years, I just, I think he's a hero. Um, he's one of my favourite ever Newcastle players and that tribute yesterday I thought was, was lovely. I thought it was really good to see that and I loved that flag in the end as well. It was uh, the the picture of him celebrating the goal in the Gallagher end. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, and he was he was at the he was at the club yesterday to see that, which is great. Brilliant. And you know, that is a that is a different story of Newcastle reclaiming, you know, in the same way that they're reclaiming St James's Park, there's that reclaiming of the club's own history and its own past, which is really important. Um, you know, that those links are there. On the flag front, yes, there was that lovely moment at the end where um Miguel Almiron comes off the pitch clutching the flag <laughs> but I do just want to say so um and then in the you know the the obvious the ubiquitous uh, dressing dressing room picture afterwards everyone's staring at the camera cheering Almiron still has uh still has the flag <laughs> he does. he's been grassed up on twitter by Paul Dummett who's who's retweeted Newcastle's own Twitter feed saying, please do not take any flags home with you. They are the property of war flags and are funded by supporters. And he's um, focused in on Miggy holding the flag with eyes emoji. So, I mean, that's fair enough. I mean, it's good to, you know, it's, you know we don't want people taking war flags, flags home, but dummy, nobody likes a grass. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Right then, chaps, I think it's time to move on. And just before we do, uh, I've got enough time to tell you you can subscribe to The Athletic now for just £1 a month for the first six months. Uh, if you fancy an excursion outside the Newcastle page, check out Rob Tanner's Iose Perez update. Uh, and it's been an interesting time for the Spaniard in the East Midlands. Uh, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. You get full access to all of our great writing and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Sign up now. We'll be back in a jiffy. Come on, you Maggies. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, chops, we're heading into a busy week. Crystal Palace under the lights on Wednesday night. It could be a, a nice way to completely round off uh, survival and, and get another three points. They've just come off the back of a semi-final defeat uh, in the FA Cup. Chris, what, what's the chances? I, I mean, the, the Palace game, who knows? We, we, could, uh, we could get all three points again, the way things are going. Yeah, you, you couldn't write off this Newcastle team from, from, from achieving anything right now in terms of because they do make it so difficult for, for every single opponent that they play. The, the, thankfully, that Spurs second half has turned out to be the aberration that we hoped it was. Yeah. And they have recovered from it. They've responded and showed that they, they aren't a team who's going to collapse like that regularly. I mean, obviously, they've got some very, very difficult games coming up after Crystal Palace uh, they then go to Norwich but then they're going to they're going to play both of the title challengers before the end of the season Arsenal who um are in poor form but um who are trying to get into to the top 4 as well so they have, they have a difficult they have a difficult run in but I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against Newcastle in any match I mean there's part of me that thinks it would be absolutely wonderful if they did finish top half but then there's an, there's another part of me that sort of looks back at the at the 10th place season under Rafa Benitez and and I, I know it's a very different club now, and I know it's a very different feel about it, and I don't think that they will rest on the laurels, but I, I'd also think that that 10th wouldn't necessarily represent what this season has, has been. It would be it would be a fantastic achievement, but the toil that this season has, has brought, the, the, the danger Newcastle are in, and to look back at it in a few years' time, but, oh, well, they got, they, they got, they, this squad is capable of 10th, and I know they're strengthened in January, but I do think that, that to actually consider themselves a top-10 team, even if they finish 10th this season, they're not, in my view, what I would quote-unquote a, a top-10 team. So I, I, I think it probably is going to be a little bit beyond them, but to, to even be talking about the fact that they've got a chance of being in top-10, they didn't win for four. There was a fourteenth match before they won a match. Yeah, they they got to the turn of the year, haven't won one game, and yet their form has been top six form over the course of the last four months. It's been absolutely phenomenal. And to even be ch- chatting about talking, looking up the table rather than even now contemplating what's below them is just absolutely staggering. With a, I didn't think we'd be in this position. I'm not sure I agree with with you there, Chris. I mean, I know what you're saying. I mean, I think the tenth place under Rafa, he he regarded that as. Almost the worst thing that could have could have happened. I mean, you know, beyond them staying up because he thought it sort of persuaded people that you know the team was something that they weren't and that it had been a struggle. And you know, I think that's been that was so much part of the Ashley sort of thinking, the Ashley mantra. They never strengthened from a from a position of strength, 
and it was always very sort of reactive as you you know you do say it's a very different club now i think the story of this season whatever the league table says at the end of it is of this extraordinary recovery you know there it's it's historic in terms of you know not 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 managing to win a game for so long and it's the story of the takeover in some ways i think that i think the league position is at the end of it is kind of almost irrelevant beyond being safe um except it tells a story of how of how good they've been since then but yeah i mean the league table is the league table it hasn't told the full story of newcastle no. you know since promotion has it i mean because they've all been relegation seasons in one way shape or form for long stretches and you know, I would be. Um, I know what you mean. I'd be very happy next season. No, for a I, tenth, think what, I think for what a, I mean wait, is wait, wait, people wait, wait, are now wait. talking about people are now talking about top ten, and and I just get, I just, I, I, if they don't finish top ten, that shouldn't, in my my view, is that that is not that's not even a thing at the minute. It's just like people are now talking about, oh, can they finish top ten? To me, yeah, it's, compl- it's completely, yeah, yeah. it's know, completely irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. if they finish tenth or they finish fourteenth. Yeah, the, where they've come from to where they are now. It's 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 almost it is irrelevant in that sense. And even if they finish tenth, what I'm trying to say is they're not, in my view, they're not a quote unquote top ten team. You can't say it's like when they finished tenth, no. four teams or whatever. I think they they finished higher than everyone else on goal yeah, difference. Yeah, yeah, they won. What I want them to become next season, the progress that you want them to be is that it's top ten is in their comfortably top ten. It was never it was never a question of relegation. And that that to me, they're diff they're very different things. No, I agree. Leicester are a top ten team. They may end up finishing eleventh or whatever. You, you, you Sort of look at them and say they're a top, they're, they're a comfortable mid top upper mid table team. Newcastle Fair basically have been relegation fodder all season yeah. until the last three months. Yeah, okay, all right, all right. If you offered me now 10th or 9th next season, and it's a season where again you see this, you see players improving, you see the team improving, you see it growing, you see stuff happening off the pitch uh, in terms of infrastructure, you could give me a cup run, and at no stage. Uh, next season is that even the vaguest hint of relegation I would take that now I know exactly what you're saying I know know exactly what you're saying 10th the first 10th under Rafa it was a real struggle it was an amazing finishing position but it was a real struggle and it's been a real real struggle ever since and this season is you know arguably the biggest struggle of all for, for long stretches so I know 10th would sort of um, you know, yeah, would would sort of hide that tenth next season or ninth next season with not a threat of relegation would be would be pretty damn good as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'd definitely take that. Absolutely, and I mean finishing ninth is, is really only a hair's breadth off European football, isn't it? And not to get ahead of ourselves, which obviously is exactly what I am doing. Uh, but Rangers, West Ham, and Leicester—they've all showed this season that those lesser uh, European competitions can be great fun. And I remember with very uh, fond memories of the Europa League under Alan Pardew having a having a fantastic run there. I mean, Mike Ashley's attitude to the Europa League and and, and getting into a Europa competition was was pretty shameful, wasn't it? It, it felt like it was almost a hindrance rather than a thing to be celebrated. Oh, he was furious. Yeah. He was furious. He was furious with finishing fifth. Yeah. And, um, you know, that summer they signed Vernon Anita and that was all. And yeah, they were in trouble. From from that moment, they were in trouble. They were in trouble in the league. And, you know, the run in there uh, in Europe was great. It was great fun. It was great to go away again and follow the team. We went to some good places. Pardew's, to Pardew's credit. In fact, Derek Lambias's credit as well. They were very, they were very available. Um, um, sort of on those trips, um, you know, mixing with fans, mixing with journalists, all that sort of stuff, and um, you know, it was a very good ride, and they came, they came pretty close in the end with that, 
you know, fabulous trip to Benfica and, you know, nearly doing it in that in that match. Yeah. But no, it was it they, they were utterly unprepared for the competition. They they weren't equipped to do it. The squad wasn't strong enough. It stretched them in other areas of the uh you know, er, other areas of the season and it kind of cost it cost them in many ways. And I think that sort of set them off into a bit of a tailspin. I mean, if if and when Newcastle get there again, you know, you hope that um the team building that's been going on since you know, since January continues, and they would have the the means to make the most of it. What's interesting about the 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 Europa Conference League is you look at the final four and take Leicester out of it, and the other three in it, Roma, Feyenoord, and Marseille, are sort of historic European clubs, and it shows that they're Big taking clubs, they're yeah. taking it. To, yeah, and it's almost Europa League is almost like the 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 established new order. Those clubs trying to come through in Leipzig, Eintracht Frankfurt, West Ham Rangers. So it's sort of flipped, and it, but it just shows how much. These teams are now taking Europe seriously, but also that British teams are having a lot of success in European competitions at the moment, and 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 for Newcastle to get to be a part, to become a part of that would be would be wonderful. We are getting ahead of ourselves here, but the, but that is when you go beyond the top six. You look at you look at West Ham and Leicester and these clubs who the 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 celebrations. At West, from West Ham away fans at Leon last week was just wonderful and to have those nights yeah, back. I mean, you go back to you go back to 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 the wins over Angie and, and the likes in in twenty thirteen and under Mike Ashley. Even even during that time when everything else around the club wasn't necessarily rosy and it was a difficult season. The rest of the season, the league season, when they in the Europa League was difficult. But those European nights are something extra special about them. We'd all love to have them back. So yeah. Back to the here and now as well, chaps. There's there's two games before the next time we record the podcast. Palace uh, at home on Wednesday, and then a, a horrific trip to the city of Norwich, uh, which is which is the most remote place in the universe. Um, but uh, Palace, they didn't face extra time on on uh, on Sunday, Chris. But they might be deflated after that cup exit. So there's always a chance there again under the lights at St James's Park. The fans will be uh, baying for blood. Is there? Do you think there'll be any changes to the team? Has anybody come through the weekend with injury niggles or anything like that? Is there an update? Well, Joe Willock's got to be in with a shout of of of, of pushing his way Absolutely, back at the team. Yeah. Came on again. I mean, which of the three midfielders would you drop? I suppose is 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 if you're going to bring him into into the team, I'd say maybe John Joe Shelby, the most susceptible. But I didn't. I, th- I thought he was decent. I didn't think he had a poor game by any stretch of your imagination. So, um, that's exactly what Eddie Howe wants. Though he wants he wants competition. People pushing for places. I mean, we saw the lesser spotted Dwight Gale even got on the other day, which was which was a uh, which was a shock. But the I think that in the next. Ten days, two weeks. Kieran Trippier will be starting to push to be being close to being back. Callum Wilson maybe slightly beyond that. So there, the potential changes you can see. I, th- I think how will be reluctant to make. To, he doesn't like to make too many changes as it is. There, are, there as I say, there wasn't any player you'd look at the team and go, he he should be dropped for any reason. Um, fingers crossed. Another night under the lights. Another ninety minutes. Well, nearly ninety minutes under his belt. Alan Saint Maximan gets a goal or an assist to just give him that little boost. And I mean, you mentioned Palace. They probably don't have anything to play for you now. Whether Newcastle, we've seen it before with a lot of teams. And uh, George asked how about this ten days ago, even before they'd won the the last two games, as to whether there'd been a, that it would there could be a let off in sort of intensity. Howe is certainly not going to let them do that. But but as players, psychologically, uh, even subconsciously, will something will something just 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 
one or two percent just lower for both teams so it'll be interesting to see who stays mentally strongest beyond that who still has the most to play for um but i do i do fancy newcastle against palace after after the the deflation of, of getting knocked out in the semi-final yeah. that was that was their season really there for them so i, I do fancy newcastle st james has given the form and george as we spoke about last week as well we never have a great time when we go to carroll road do we but it, there's always a chance there norwich are uh, off the back of a defeat against man united and who knows there could be another three points up for grabs there yeah, but I think I think both of these games, you know, I don't I don't think it's arrogance. I just think the Newcastle are on the table. Yeah, there's you know there's no jeopardy anymore. You know, there's no jeopardy, and or oh, the jeopardy is incredibly slim. I mean, Newcastle are favourites at home to Palace on Wednesday, which is quite strange. You know, um, <laughs> ridiculous. So why not? I mean, you know, I think that's the point. I mean, yeah, it obviously gets a lot trickier right towards the end of the season, but these games are there to be. These games are there to be taken on, and um, you know Norwich of Norwich are where they are on the table. So why not? Why not give it a go? I think that's the thing, and I, you know that was the nice thing about Leicester. They were outplayed for for a lot of it. You know, Brendan Rodgers said <coughs> said afterwards that you know they were they were sort of unfortunate to win. I don't agree with that, but I do think they were the better side. I think Leicester were the better side, but Newcastle have found a way of getting positive results and have found a way of winning. So. No, carry that on, please. And George, there's been some interesting comments from the manager recently as well on transfer strategy going forward. Uh, Eddie Howe, uh, you know, he's he's keeping his cards close to his chest, isn't he? Well, he said, um, it's quite an interesting quote, he said that the summer, quote, won't be the revolution people expect due to financial restrictions, end quote. And there's been this sort of mood music around the club recently, and I did a very short news story about that, just because I thought the um, I thought the kind of quotes were interesting. Um, and he sort of said, it's not just a case of signing anybody, that will never be my way of working. But it mirrors stuff, actually. And th- I think the response from Newcastle fans is sort of quite interesting. They, A lot of people sort of say, oh, well, this, of course, the club aren't going to say we're going to spend millions and millions of pounds in the summer because, of course, that's not a very smart negotiating <laughs> tactic. Definitely not, if You're no. looking to do good deals. And, you know, other people saying that it's kind of kidology on their on their behalf. But it does mirror what we've what we've heard... Um, from inside the club too, that they are having to sort of look at financial fair play. I would just, at this stage, I would kind of go, but I've gone back to the interview I did with uh, Amanda Staverley and Murdad Gadusi a couple of months ago. And they, you know, a couple of things that they did say then, they said that they'd, you know, they admitted that they'd done more than they wanted to do in January because they had to. That's one thing. The second thing they say is that they want to create a sustainable club. That's important. And uh, Murdad said, you know, because we spent £90 million in January, is that going to affect our summer window? Yes, only in the sense of financial fair play. So they, we need to be within the bounds of FFP. They're also, so we're still trying to work out what that sort of FFP is. I mean, the other thing is, you know, you look at a club like Everton yeah. and how they've spent and spent and spent and they've landed themselves in huge trouble Absolutely because the blueprint of, of how not to do it, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> And the, the the owners of Newcastle are incredibly aware of that situation. And, you know, they spent so much money. Where did it go wrong? Why did it go wrong? How have they done that? They're the way, you know, they are the way not to do it. They're, and the way they're trying to, to, to do Newcastle is building building sustainable club but it's almost it's it's like a sustainable team as well they want a sustainable team so they want to add quality to it they want that to, and they want that team to grow now that means not throwing everybody out out the door 
when summer comes along, but seeing the kind of thing that we've seen this season, the players already there stepping up and improving, improving because they've got competition and improving because they're being coached well. Now, they will have to do a fair bit of business in the summer because quite a lot of people will need to leave, I think. You know, they'll need to make room in their squad. But the the word that keeps coming back to us time and time again is that this isn't going to be a summer of, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds being spent. With that in mind, Chris, I always feel like there's a, an opportunity there if the right player comes along at the right time for the right price and it is who the owners want to get in and who the manager wants, then they will be prepared to pay uh, the, the fees for those players. And, and that's what we haven't seen in the past from Newcastle United is is the kind of the cheapskate approach rather than uh, when the right player is there, they, they go for it. Um, and that, that's what I'm excited to see, Chris. Yeah, I mean, what the, what then... What you want to see now is Newcastle, rather than bring in quantity, you want, you want quality. You want people them to bring p- people in who are, are going to improve the first eleven, not just come in and be there as, as squad players. Or um, w- as, as I was ch- saying earlier on, what Newcastle do off the ball now, I think they can compete with anyone in, in the league with that. I think there's very few teams who who look as, 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 as well set up now defensively and off the ball and the work that they do, and they understand that. But I, I, to get to that next level, to make themselves that sort of top 10 team, what they need is they need more quality in the final third. They need more goals throughout the team. They need more creativity throughout the team. And uh, Eddie Howe recognises that, and I do... Th- I, all of the information that we're getting so far strongly suggests that the focus will be on the on the front line. They will try and strengthen a few different positions down the spine, but primarily they would like a striker, they would like wide attacking players because they want to bring in that additional quality. You don't want them to go in it. If they were to go sign seven or eight players this summer... To even contemplate doing that, they'd, they'd have to move on about fifteen. They already need to move on about eight or nine. But they've, they've got they've got players outside of the squad as it is. Isaac Hayden, Jamal Lewis, etc. Yeah, so, and they've got players out on loan, Jeff Hendricks. So it's not going to be a summer of, of of sort of a dozen arrivals. It may well be a dozen exits or several exits, and then they're really looking. I think you're going to be looking again, similar to, to January, probably between four and six additions if possible, and hopefully two or three of them to slot into the first team or very much compete for the first team in attacking positions because that's where they really need to upgrade. But that and that will either require some very astute signings in terms of potential free transfers or players with uh, release clauses or who have got interest in contractual situations or it's going to require a decent investment just as Bruno cost to bring in because if they want a really good attacking player it's going to be it's going to cost them a lot of money right then chops we can wrap things up unless there's any more for any more uh, well I wrote about Chris Wood last week I'd quite like to mention that definitely and I did that because um, really, I was listening to the radio last week, listening to BBC Radio Newcastle, which I like to do. And there were a couple of Newcastle fans, I mean, having exactly this conversation that, that, that Chris was having there about what happens in the summer, how did Newcastle kick on. And those people were basically sort of talking about, you know, the fact that Wood would definitely leave in the summer, that he wasn't good enough for where Newcastle want to go and all that. Anyway, that just sort of, I, I wanted to write a bit of a sort of a, a bit of an appreciation about Wood's contribution. He has only scored a couple of goals, we know that, but he's also played in every game since he arrived. Yes. And he's been a part of this huge uptick in form. They wouldn't have done it without him. And um, I asked for contributions on, on Twitter, so kind of got some very nice nice responses and I did also speak 
to, uh, to, to sort of people in the dressing room. One of his teammates said that uh, he's one of the nicest guys that they've come across in football and, you know, that the points total since he's been in the team speaks for itself. And somebody at the top of the club um, said 100% Chris Wood will be here next will be here next season, that they'll need him. And FFP was actually mentioned in that conversation. So I wanted to take, um, sort of have a little bit of fun, but to give a, but to give a shout out to Chris Wood because, yeah, he's nobody, he's nobody's idea of the future at Newcastle, I'm sure, but he's played a big part this season and he will, he will be here next season doing the same, I'm sure. Yeah, and just, just picking up on that, I mean, you mentioned FFP coming to consideration. We've got to remember, Newcastle paid £25 million for Chris Wood, and they can't just afford to write that off. Either. They didn't say, they, they, they paid that money because they needed him, and they needed him for the here and now, but equally, he signed a two-and-a-half-year contract. He, he, they're not just going to, if they were to sell him this summer, they would make a massive loss. Instead, he's a very, as we even talked about when Newcastle brought him in, to sign a, an experienced Premier League centre-forward yeah. is going to cost you a lot of money as it is. So to have Chris Wood as a squad player next season someone who, who maybe will play in a front two or a front two even with other with other forwards who you hope to augment the side with Newcastle are not just gonna not just gonna write that off all of a sudden and be like it was 25 million pounds for six months they, they see more from him and and the way that Eddie Howe sees him and how he talks about him hey he's, he's, he's not gonna let him go easily just just because just because. yeah historically he has scored 10 or 11 goals a season in the league for Burnley now that's pretty you know he's he's played a huge part in Burnley staying up yeah. that sort of level of experience that I mean he's not prolific in that sense but 10 or 11 goals a season um you know if he was on the bench that's a that's a great uh, that's you know that's that's not a bad uh thing to have and the other thing of course is that he is able to change the way Newcastle play absolutely I mean, so yeah. some of the some some of the stats in that piece you know nobody has won more aerial duels in the Premier League this season he's had more uh headed shots on target headers on target than anybody else in the league you know i thought i thought you know he came he came off early um yesterday but he he won so much in the air he does provide a focal point he's done exactly uh what newcastle wanted him to do i'm sure they would love him to have scored a few more times but he's done exactly what they needed and of course getting wood is also another phrase for having an erection which is um is hilarious <laughs> Didn't have a clue where you were going with that, but fair play. Outstanding. Right then, chaps. I think we'll wrap things up there, eh? If you want to read that uh, that piece by George about Chris Wood, uh, don't forget our special offer at the minute. You can get a subscription to The Athletic with your first six months at just £1 a month at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Let's leave it there. Uh, happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter, chaps. Hope you've had a lovely weekend. And we shall see you on the other side of Palace and Norwich. Thanks a lot for listening to Pod on the Time. We shall speak to you very soon. Bye-bye. The Athletic.